So, Exodus 34, that verse that Luke just read for us, that's kind of been our anchor passage through this series, is God's self-disclosure statement about who he is. Uh, A little bit earlier in the story, the chapter before, Moses is like, hey, you know, God, we've been working together for a while, and I want to know more about you. I want to know who you are. And so God says, yeah, I'll take you up on that offer. And Moses goes up on Mount Sinai, and, you know, God puts him in the cleft of the rock, covers him with his hand, and passes by. And as he does, he proclaims his name, the Lord, the Lord, or Yahweh, Yahweh, the compassionate and gracious God slow to anger. And last week was actually when our our rhythms here at Ruby have been a little disrupted. (laughs) Uh, And we just roll with those punches as the spirit uh, sometimes leads us into different things. And so we missed compassionate and gracious a little bit. Um, That was supposed to be last week. And we're just going and rolling ahead to slow to anger this week. So that's what we're gonna be looking at, this attribute of God being slow to anger. Um. I want to, in this teaching, hopefully bring a few things up for you guys. Um, kind of my, my goal with this is to show God's slowness to anger versus our quickness to anger, and God's anger versus our rage, and kind of speak to some of that. So, in the Hebrew, So I've been told, I'm not a Hebrew scholar, but I've heard from sources. Uh, In the Hebrew here, this phrase slow to anger is hard to translate. It's not a word for word direct translation. It's actually a a Hebrew phrase that means long of nostrils uh, or long nose. Uh, That's because in the Hebrew, when someone is angry at someone in the Bible, it says, and their nose burned against them. It's capturing this picture. It's a word picture of, you know, when you get angry and you're, face turns red and you, you know, act in anger. But so what's happening here in Exodus 34 is it says God has a really long nose. It takes him a long time to get to that point of his nose burning in anger towards someone. He's patient. He is slow to anger. There are plenty of examples of this in scriptures if you get in and read, but one that I'll kind of look at quickly um, is actually a little bit earlier in this same story that we're looking at. Uh, You know, God calls Moses, this guy, uh, and says, hey, Moses, I want you to go to Pharaoh, the the king of Egypt, and tell him to let my people go. Um, And God knows that it's going to kind of be a tough task, but sends Moses, after they have a long conversation, Uh, and Moses goes and says, hey, Pharaoh, you know, Yahweh, the God of Israel, the creator God has said that he wants you to let his people go so they can go and worship him, and Pharaoh says no. And God 10 times gives Pharaoh the chance to listen to him. 10 times he sends Moses and says, hey, let my people go. But eventually, you know, after 10 long chances, uh, it comes to a pinnacle and God actually acts on behalf of Israel to make it happen. But he gives Pharaoh more chances than probably any of us would. Um, So that's not how humanity, how we typically express anger. 
um, you know, we've done, we've tried to in, the, in this teaching series go a little bit of Old Testament, a little bit of New Testament 2021 to show that God, the God of the Old Testament is the same God of the New Testament, is the same God of today. He does not change. His nature is the same. And so as we look at this attribute of God being slow to anger um, and we move into the New Testament, this is the same God in Jesus that we see in the Gospels. Um, if you want to turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter 11, uh, feel free to do so. There's a, a story that I kind of want to speak to this morning about Jesus that growing up for myself in the church was not one that was talked about very frequently. Um, it was kind of a weird story, a different Jesus than we were used to talking about. And so we kind of like didn't, I felt like didn't really know what to do with that. And so it's kind of over there and we'll like give it a head nod, but not pay too much mind to it. But in recent, uh, in the recent past, I feel like this story has come up a lot uh, in my life, in uh, things going on in the world at large. Um, and if you don't know what, where we're headed, we're headed to uh, Jesus flipping over tables, whip in hand, cleaning the temple courts. Um, so if you're there in Mark chapter 11, we're gonna start in verse 11. And he, he being Jesus, entered Jerusalem. So this is right after the triumphal entry. You know, he rides in on a colt and everyone is singing Hosanna. He, so he entered Jerusalem and went into the temple. And when he had looked around at everything, as it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the 12. He kind of left Jerusalem. He went in, looked around the temple, and then went back and went to a neighboring town to spend the night with his disciples. And then down in verse 15, we'll jump down there. The next morning, they came up to Jerusalem, Jesus and his disciples, and then he entered the temple. And he began to drive out those who sold and those who bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. And he would not allow anyone to carry anything through the temple. And he was teaching them and saying to them, it is not written, or it is, is it not written? My house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations, but you have made it a den of robbers. So Jesus comes in and begins disrupting what's going on. This you know, display of what we would describe as anger and what is often described as anger. But there are a few key things that I want to point out in this story that I feel like are often neglected uh, when this story is talked about, at least when I've heard it talked recently. And these things are gonna tie back to the things that I said I wanted to share with you guys today about God's slowness to anger versus his quickness to, well, our quickness to rage and God's anger versus our rage. So the reason I had to start back up in verse 11 is to show you that Jesus entered Jerusalem and went into the temple. He came in to the temple, looked around and took inventory of what he saw there. And this also isn't the first time that Jesus has been in this temple. Uh, we know in Luke's gospel, uh, Jesus is dedicated at this temple. 
It says that year after year, he came with his family here from his hometown to this temple. At the age of 12, he spent a bit of time here actually teaching as a 12-year-old boy. And this isn't the first time in his ministry either that he has entered this temple. So what I want you to see, Jesus is intimately familiar with what's going on here. His whole life, he's been coming to this temple and he knows the systems that make him angry. And so Jesus doesn't enter in for the first time, now filled with the Holy Spirit and go off on a rampage. He doesn't fly off the handle at the people there. He's slow to anger. He's meticulous and thoughtful and well thought out in the way that he goes about what he's doing here. And so that's kind of that first part, you know, slow to anger. This wasn't a reaction to a wounded ego. Uh, So often, uh, our anger, our rage comes from a wounded ego, but that's not the anger of God. And this is the second thing I want you to see that the anger of God is not him lashing out at people that he's just angry at for whatever reason. He's not just out to get people for the sake of getting people, right? God's love or God's anger is that of a loving parent. To go back to Exodus 34, before it's mentioned, and we missed this week, if you didn't get a chance to go and listen to a podcast from Marathon Village or the Cannery, please go back and do that. Listen to it. It's important that you guys get the full picture of this passage. But before God is slow to anger, first and foremost, he is compassionate and gracious. That is the emotional state out of which the God of the universe acts towards his people. This baseline emotion of grace and compassion, his Anger is that of a loving parent looking after the well-being of his children. Not someone who's mad because someone said something about them that upset them. Not someone that's mad because someone cut them off in traffic, but someone who's looking out for others. You see what made Jesus mad in this moment and what eventually came about in this cleansing of the temple courts I'm sure you do know, is the injustices happening there, that people were creating a barrier to God. That's what made him mad. That people were, you know, ripping off other people, making money off of people so that they had the right sacrifice so that they could be right with God. And people were profiting off of that and creating a barrier to God. Uh, That's why he says, you know, that his teaching there in this passage, is it not written, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations, but you have made it a den of robbers. You know, we in our world, anger is something that we're really accustomed to. And uh, we see anger and rage, and we almost don't even bat an eye. I think about, I didn't watch a lot of this growing up, but I do think about the TV shows that were on MTV growing up and reality TV shows and how the, 
the main thing going on in a lot of that TV is people just being angry and petty at another. And we view that, that right there, is entertainment to us. We love seeing people get angry and act rashly. But that's not the character of God. It's the character of this world. Um, you know, we live in the world now where anger is such a part of the fabric of our DNA that we now have words for this happening. We have words like cancel culture to name when anger in our society uh, is, it has this word now that you get angry and you can, you can end someone's life. The mob of the internet can end someone. Then and there, judge, jury, prosecutor. That's not God. God is slow to anger. You know, and we are so quick, myself included, to point the finger at other people, to be mad at other people, to say, you're what's wrong with the world. But the truth is we all have things inside of us. We all have skeletons. We all have things that you probably don't want the person sitting next to you to know about you and your anger. And anger isn't always this lashing out, right? Sometimes if you're like myself, if you know me, you might think, well, Gentry's not a very angry person. Um, that's just because I have a really quiet anger is what I call it. Uh, I don't lash out in, in reaction, but you know, people do make me angry. And instead of, you know, saying something to them, I just distance myself, let bitterness grow in my heart. And so if you're sitting here and you're like me and you're like, I don't have a problem with anger. I don't fly off the handle or yell things at people in traffic. Maybe you're like me and you just let bitterness grow more like a black mold in your heart. Um, this quiet anger. So we've got this cancel culture. We've got, this is such a piece of the fabric of our DNA. And the truth is we all could be canceled for something. Whether it was an action that we've done, or whether it's just a quick thought in passing that no one else will ever know, but it's still there in our heart, this, this anger, this rage. You see, here's the truth. Um, in Romans, Paul, in chapter three, as I was preparing for this, I was in Romans 3, and there was this passage that was just so convicting for me. Um, if you want to open your Bibles, you're welcome to. In Romans 3, Paul has this poem that he's put together, uh, kind of stitch work from other pieces of the Old Testament, Psalms and Proverbs and other things, and has this poem. And as I read this, just reflect on, you know, man, does any of this hit home to you personally? Or do you, where do you see this in the world we live in? So Paul talking about uh, the state of humanity, he says this, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All, all have turned aside together. They have become worthless. No one does good not even one, their throat is an open grave and they use their tongues to deceive. 
The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery and the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. I don't, I don't know about you guys, but this, when I came across this a couple nights ago, um, man, it was convicting. The venom of asps under their lips when we just have these quick poisonous words to say about someone, whether verbally or just in our own heart. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. You know, their mouth or their keyboard on their phone. And their feet are swift to shed blood. They're swift to go, hey, you, you did this, you wronged me. I'm going to wrong you back or get justice. You know, their feet, their thumbs are swift to pull out that phone and text someone. We're swift to, you know, have you heard TMZ and leak things to the media? And in their paths are ruin and misery. You know, later, so he's, Paul's giving this picture of the human condition. This is all of us. This is me. This is, this is all of us. But just a little bit later, Paul says um, in Romans 3, Verse uh, 23, you probably know this if you grew up around the church. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. For all have sinned, for all have done things that are short of the glory of God. We have our own standards and measuring sticks and things that we call people out against call out against people in, in rage, in anger. But God's standards are different than ours. There is this, the glory of God is the thing. And what comes to mind as I was thinking about this, if you were here for our Luke series, uh, kind of in the end of the summer and beginning of the school year, I remember Cody standing up here and giving us this visual of there's this line and we're all on this side of the line. And the only person on the other side of the line is Jesus. The only person that is worthy is Jesus. And we are all on this same side of the line, all just as guilty as everyone else we're pointing fingers at. We're all the pot calling the kettle black, just repeatedly, whether it's loud or whether it's quiet. Um, so, you know, moving on from there, our quickness in Romans 3, in that poem, we're all quick to anger, we're all quick to judge, we're all quick to prosecute another. And Paul, in another writing of his, gives us a, a warning against this. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26, he says, be angry as if like, there, there sometimes is a time and a place to be angry. There sometimes are injustices, things that God would be mad at, you know, human trafficking, sexual abuse, real wickedness in the world that is just to be mad at. And don't hear me say up here saying, never be angry. But what Paul does say, be, be angry and in your anger, do not sin. 
in your anger, don't text that person. Don't tweet that thing. Don't yell. Don't make that gesture with your hand. Be angry and do not sin. And do not let the sun go down on your anger. It's almost as if he's saying, you know, there's this time when it is a right thing to be angry about, when it's something righteous to be angry about. Be angry for a time, but do not let the sun go down on your anger. Uh, it's this, this picture that comes to mind with this is just after a period of time, at the end of the day, as you hit your knees before you go to bed, to just say, God, this, the wickedness of this, this world has me angry. But God, I just hand that over to you. And I trust that you are the one who can handle and deal with that rightly. And that my, my rage and my anger is not gonna fix a problem. There are things we can do as, that can fix a problem as the church, but our anger and our rage it's not gonna fix a problem. It's probably just gonna make it worse because he goes on to say, so as not to give an opportunity to the devil. That in your anger, letting yourself seethe with anger actually gives an opportunity for the devil to get real estate in your heart. That he, in your anger, has an opportunity to come in and actually begin to manipulate and change the way that you view reality, not based on what, what God and what scripture has to say about reality, but based on lies through anger. This portal opens up, this way in. Uh, I just wanna like, man, this has been, uh, I've got a lot of thoughts as you guys have probably picked up on at this point. Um, and I'm trying to convey them concisely with only 48 hours of preparation. So I appreciate you bearing with me. Um, but man, this hits home, doesn't it? Be angry, but do not sin and don't be angry about petty things and don't lash out in anger because that's not God's anger. Uh, in James chapter one, verse 19, he says, be quick to, er, yeah, quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. James is inviting us into reflecting the character of God in Genesis 34, being slow to anger. In fact, that's a lot of the New Testament writers, that, or the New Testament authors, they have a different way of life on hold. It's Jesus's way of life. This way of life that is countercultural in a culture where we have words to define very specific ways about how we interact and are entertained by the rage of this world. The New Testament invites us into a different way of life to be slow to anger kind of move us on into another writing of Paul's. Uh, in his letter to the Philippians, he says this towards the end. He says, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, 
whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable. If there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. You, he's, Paul is inviting us into like, hey, don't sleep on that anger. Don't let that be what fills your mind day in and day out. Because that's really easy to do, especially when something really gets under your skin to just sit for hours and days and just meditate on that. But here Paul is saying, no, 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 that's not, as a, as a follower of Jesus, that's not what we meditate on. We meditate on truth, whatever's honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable. If there's anything of excellence, anything worthy of praise, think about these things. There's this different way of life that is countercultural to the world on offer for us through the way of Jesus. After this, Paul says, what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. As followers of Jesus, we are called to be people of peace, not people that contribute to the cultural rage, but people who are a people of peace. If you, if you saw it in that uh, earlier in Romans, in that poem, the end of the poem, right after that really convicting moment, he says, you know, their feet are swift to shed blood and their paths are ruin and misery. And then he says this, in the way of peace, they have not known. Their mouth is, uh, the fear of God is not before their eyes. There's this invitation. We all are, could be canceled at any moment. We all could be told, you're done, game's over, take the jersey off, hit the showers, you're done. Here's your sports reference from me. Um, but that's not the way of Jesus. We all have these things and we're all on this same side of the line and Jesus is on the other side of the line saying, come, come to me and I will give you rest. I will show you peace. We're called as the church to be a counter culture to what is going on in our world. So before I just get to continuing rambling, uh, Luke, if you wanna go ahead and throw up that slide. Um, as we kind of move towards communion, I wanna give us some questions and things to just reflect on. So, you know, in a moment we'll get up and we'll grab communion at the tables around us. And then I want you to circle up in groups of three to five and kind of reflect on some of these questions here. You know, where have you seen anger in the world around you recently? How do you tend to react when you get angry? And as you reflect on this teaching, how is God inviting you to respond when others make you angry? How can you start to become slow to anger? You know, I invite you also to meditate on, if you want to, uh, Philippians 4, 8, and 9, or Romans uh, 3, 10 through 18. But so we're gonna get up, we're gonna come to the tables, grab communion, circle up, make a mess, pull your chairs around and reflect on these questions and have discussion with the people in your circle 
on these things? And do we, as we're invited to, do we reflect the character of God? Because that's ultimately what we're invited into, is reflecting the character of God to the world around us. Uh, so you guys can go ahead and come up, grab those, uh, those communion cups, and take communion together as you reflect on these questions.